with these gifts that this guy that these guys were given we see these different reactions we see these different things and these this parable goes through three very distinct phases and we want to look at and break down these phases the first one is the trust phase this is where the master goes off and he calls the guys up and he gives them he puts them in charge of something he puts them in charge of something that's precious to him something that's his while he's gone he wants to see increase left back where back home he wants to see things increase so as he is going through he's entrusted all of them we don't hear a count of a fourth servant that got nothing so we're assuming that all of the servants got something we don't hear any story that he called his three best servants he picked three individual servants he says he called his servants and gave handed these out everybody got something all were entrusted with something everybody was and see the thing is is that whenever you look at that so many times you can think that that you haven't really been entrusted with much i love the story of a a man a, a woman named martha berry and back in the early 1900s she had this compassion there in uh, there in alabama and uh, that she was going to in the in the south she was going to take care of the uh, the the people who weren't getting educated she had a desire to educate she ended up not marrying devoting her life to educating underprivileged people that whether they were migrant farmers or people who had just just lived in rural areas and didn't have access to education whether they were orphaned and she just had this passion she had this assignment on her heart to educate and she didn't have a whole lot of resources but she found out that Henry Ford would give out money would he would be a benefactor to these different things and the day that she shows up Henry Ford she's one of the last ones to get her appointment with Henry Ford and he had just been inundated with people who were asking him for money well like anybody else you just get you just get worn out with it <clears throat> Martha comes in and she presents her story she presents what she wants to do and Henry Ford doesn't give her the kindest response he sits there and listens to her and reaches into his pocket and says all the money that I have on me right now is this and hands her a dime and says there you go do something with that you know I'm 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 not as big of a person as Martha Berry she's a hero to me because I'm telling you that you just that would just be almost offensive you know I've heard that if you really want to tick off a waiter not to not leave them nothing because then they think you forgot to tip but to leave them like a quarter because then they know you tipped and you tipped bad on purpose that there's a message that goes with that you leave nothing they think you forgot and uh, don't ever do that to people we don't treat people that way but it's that thing that it would have been less insulting for Henry Ford to have said I'm not doing anything then for him to reach in his pocket and grab a dime and hand this lady a dime but Martha Berry was not discouraged I mean she just this lady was just brilliant she takes her dime goes back 
and goes and buys some seeds. She had, she had inherited some land, and she gave this land to her school that she had started. And she buys some seeds, and with, that seed, with those seeds, she plants in the gardens and stuff, she plants all of these flowers. Well, a little bit of time goes by. She nurtures the gardens. The, the gardens come up, and they beautify her place. And she takes, gets pictures of how, how pretty her place looks with what she had been entrusted with and goes back to Henry Ford and says, look at these. Look what your dime did there for, for what we're doing to educate. They have a prettier place to be educated in. And he was so blown away that this woman didn't get insulted, that she took the dime and did something with it, and he immediately wrote her a check for $25,000, which was an unheard of sum of money at that point. I mean, that, that was just a ridiculous amount of money at that point when, when a Model T is selling for a few hundred dollars, a brand new car, $25,000 is an unheard of sum of money. Over the years, he continued to support Martha Berry as, it, as they go on, at one point writing the biggest check of $9.6 million <clears throat> to their foundation. Has dorms built. She houses all sorts of orphan people and does it. Eventually, that little school on that acreage ended up becoming Berry College, which is a still in operation today there in Georgia. She is, it is uh, um, a four-year accredited university and has an endowment of $657 million. Now, UT, the, and the only, the, the enrollment there is to about 1,800 students. Now, UT is the, has the fifth largest endowment in the U.S., okay? Have 50,000 50, students. They're an endowment per per student is about a hundred and fifty thousand dollars it's a hundred and forty seven thousand dollars per student that is in attendance you look at the and I mean the, everybody talks about how well funded UT is you look at Barry College it is over there are found their funding per student is over twice what UT is this, little, this lady with a dream in her heart, a willingness to recognize that she had been given something and doing something with it. I'm telling, change the course of generations of people's lives. The motto to this day of that school is not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Everybody that comes through that college, believer or not, gets that ingrained into them that it's not for them just to receive it is for them to minister we've all been given something romans chapter 12 3 says for by the grace given me i say to every one of you do not think yourselves more highly than you ought but rather think of yourselves with sober sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given to you so many people think man God hasn't given me anything the word of God tells us that God has given each of us a measure of faith now what is that measure 
Is it the same all along? Is it a measure we've all been given the same allotment? Or is it a varied measure? I don't know. But I know we've all been given a place of faith. First Peter 1 Peter 1.7 says, These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold. These guys were given these talents, these chunks of gold, but your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though it's refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Our, the faith that God has, has placed in each of mankind, that is ultimately where this parable goes to that each of us are going to stand accountable for that measure of faith that God has given into us whether it has been buried and nothing is done with it or it has been placed in Christ and has been expanded and and increased like crazy we're all going to stand in that place that is the ultimately the place that this parable is taking us is is that we are have all been placed in stewardship of this faith first peter 4 10 says each one of <clears throat> each one of us should use whatever gift he has received to serve the others faithfully administering god's grace in its various forms god has god has endowed each of us whether it is even the greatest skeptic has this place of faith there's some that are just just screaming optimists and just believe just about anything and then there are other people who man they're they're from missouri they're from the show me state man they gotta they gotta see it well you know what on both ends god whenever you begin to use that measure of faith whenever you begin to pursue god with all your heart god meets you there we have all been entrusted with something that starts out at that measure of faith there are other giftings that we've been entrusted with as well whether it whether it is the life experiences as i talked to larry about earlier this week whether it is it is talents and giftings you know some people have the ability to sing i don't i can't carry a tune at all i enjoy singing i enjoy worship but i'm just not i'm sure to say i'm not gifted with a voice that other people enjoy maybe that's it i can sing other people just don't like it and uh and so but other people have and those gifts ought to be utilized to the kingdom of god there are other people who are just good with money they're just it's like it's unfair man they're just they just know they don't even have to work at it they're just good with it well then that gift should be utilized to the to the kingdom of god there are other people who are artists there are other people who are gifted in other ways but ultimately it all comes back to that place are we going to are we going to engage our faith and utilize that for the kingdom of god we see that the trust was each was given according to each one's ability now the thing is is in our mindset we have this thing we have this good old democracy that you know everything ought to be fair everything ought to be even everything ought to be equal you know that if god gave five talents to that guy well then he ought to give five he should have gave five talents to all of them 
that's just not fair no what isn't fair is making somebody responsible for something they can't handle that's what's not fair to put somebody in a position that they aren't they are not equipped to handle and the thing is is that God has 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 makes us accountable based on things he's given us each according to our own ability our kids when uh, they were, uh, we got settled in over there in Santa Rita uh, as our kids started riding their bikes around the neighborhood for the first time they our older ones had done it when we lived over in the bluffs and some but now all of them are riding and there's like lots of kids in the neighborhoods and, and they're all riding their bikes and it looks like a parade sometimes and uh, uh, there's just tons of bikes uh, taking place and I, I, I need to open a bicycle repair shop because I, I'm doing it all the time I might as well earn some money or something and uh, and so as but as we're doing this we've got the our kids ranging from <clears throat> from 14 down to 6 well the 6 year old doesn't get to go and do on his bike the same that the 14 year old gets to go and do and the, the my 10 year old son doesn't get to go and do by himself what the 14 year old gets to go and do there are times he'll get to go as far but it's with the 14 year old it's not by himself the 14 year old can go by himself the 10 year old can go with the 14 year old but the 10 year old can't go by himself and it's each according to their ability and why it's because I love them not because I'm being mean not because it isn't fair you know and my little my little six-year-old can just think it's not fair all day long and there have been times that boy they've been gone and he's just has sit there I'm bored I'm like well do push-ups <laughs> and my dad used to use that trick on me I never liked it then either he doesn't like it and uh, but it's each according to our ability Psalms 103 verse 14 says for he knows how we are formed he remembers that we are dust God knows how he made us and our place of accountability is based on what he has put in our hands according to <clears throat> according to our ability and there is accountability there he's not measuring us against anybody else he's measuring us against what he has given us and made us responsible for the next phase we see is the stewardship phase this is verses 16 through 18 and in that we see that there are two choices and both of them involve risk now people though you'll find as you're as you're going through you'll meet people who are very risk averse they just hate risk they don't like taking risks. They don't want to risk anything. And then you are people. You meet people who love risk, that they just want a big old bowl of risk for breakfast in the morning. They don't. If it doesn't involve some risk, they don't want to do it. If it doesn't involve something, and, and <clears throat> both ends of the spectrum are out of balance. But ultimately, serving God involves risk and as we do that we first one we we're going to see is the risk of failure 
And I tell you what, as we begin to, to do that and as you give in to the fear of failure, because whenever you contemplate the risk of failure, then you're going to, there'll be one, one or two things you're going to get. You're either going to get afraid of that failure or you're going to calculate against it and pray against it and be more diligent to avoid the failure. But you're either going to be afraid of it or you're going to face it. But there is always a risk of failure. <clears throat> Whenever uh, you look at history, then history is just full of people who overcame failure. We look at George Washington and we think of him as a fantastic general. I mean, he was the, our first president, the, the uh, father of our nation led us through the Revolutionary War, but when you start looking at all of his military wins and losses, he lost two-thirds of his battles. He had a losing record, but ultimately won the war. It wasn't about the failures here and there. It was about ultimately pursuing all the way to the end. Napoleon, as he was in school and in his military school, he graduated 42nd out of 43 students. He graduated at the bottom of his class. You know, that there was no way that he would be the one that was going to go on and basically take over the world. But he shifted. He went on to conquer Europe. We see that Billy Graham, whenever he was first asked to preach, he had pre he prepared four sermons. He'd had four sermons under his belt. He was ready to go. He got up to preach. He was so nervous, he preached all four of them in ten minutes and sat down. <laughs> he, just, he just... And just, oh, it's just mortified that he had just done that. Aren't we all thankful that Billy Graham did not stop with his first assignment did not stop with his first failure how many times have we all fallen on our faces you know as these little ones these little babies are having to learn to walk it's just part of it they're gonna fall they're going to bonk my oldest son he kept a big old bruise a big old goose egg on his head forever you'd have thought we beat that kid but i'm telling you as soon as he would he was he had such a big head anyways and uh as you sit there and these these chubby feet you had blocks for feet and so you'd go to put shoes on them and they'd be way too long and then he'd walk around and trip over those things and bonk, get a just smack his big head and have a big old goose egg and a bruise and I just constantly but you know what he doesn't fall anymore you know he's able to walk around he grew into that big head he's he, he's, he's he's doing all right and uh he's uh uh but it, there was some there was some tripping there was some failure there was a, some of this in the process and we have to understand that as we're going to go as we're going to be in, take what god has entrusted with us we can't be crippled by the fear of failure at risk in, involves that it involves that thing and we're just not going to hit it right all the time and the thing is, is that it, God, doesn't, God doesn't rebuke us when we don't. That is the beauty. That is the beauty of the fact that Christ has removed the sting of the law. Because now we can sit there and live for Christ without worried about all of the judgment and all of this stuff. We can, 
we can miss it and repent and get things right and go on again. We don't have to be round up, wound up in this. Psalms 55:22 says, "Cast your cares on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never let." the righteous fall proverbs 24 16 says for though a righteous man falls seven times he rises again but the wicked are brought down by calamity these two verses seem to contradict each other well what is it does does he never let the righteous fall well wait a minute proverbs says the righteous falls seven times what is it you know the old uh Skeptics, there's another place where the Bible's contradicting itself. Does the righteous fall or does the righteous not fall? Which is it? Well, the deal is, is when you look at it and you, you <clears throat> look at this, that the righteous doesn't stay down. They aren't falling. There are things that are falling and they're still down. When something is declared fallen, it isn't getting back up. It is that state of that was where it has become. That is where it stays. There may be some trips. There may be some going along here in life and have a little stumble, but the righteous will get back up again and keep moving. Then we have the risk of failing to try. And this is the worst risk of all. And it feels so comfortable. Because you don't feel like you're risking anything. Because you're not out there on the line. But it's the, the things that you don't do that ultimately so many times are the things that you regret the most. There are times I haven't lived just a real long time. I'm only 35. But already in my life there are things that I look back on and the things that I regret the most aren't things that I tried and failed, but tr things that I never did at all. Things that I look back and words that I never spoke. Actions that I never took. Man, I've got plenty of things that I tried and bombed. i got plenty of those things that I could regret more. But ultimately, when it's all said and done, it's that thing that you never never tried and that's what the last guy did he just locked up he vapor locked he quit and he buried it what he was given and just wouldn't even try to increase it wouldn't even try i've always had even just from a being a child i've always had this this fear of failing i hate failure i hate it and so when i was learning to talk then Brandon isn't the easiest name for every little kid to say. And uh, so you get your old consonant blends going, and it's just not the easiest name to say. And I would say lots of other things, and my parents would ask me, okay, well, what's this? And I would say it. And what's that? Well, I would say it. And, you know, what's this other thing? And I would say it. And they go, what's your name? And I'd, I wouldn't say anything because I couldn't say it. Finally, when I did say it, Finally, when I got the courage up, as a little two-year-old learning to talk, I said, Brandon. And, and the thing is, is that followed me. My parents said that it was just, they, I, I just would sheepishly say it. And it was this thing that even then, I knew I wasn't saying it right, and I just hated it. When I was a kid, I just, 
I would sit there and study something and if I if I didn't think I could be the best at it I wouldn't do it I didn't want to do baseball my dad forced me to play baseball and I was terrible at it it was a traumatic experience in my life <laughs> because I was a, I knew I wasn't any good at it and I was put out there expected to be good at it and I just wasn't and uh, it took me a long time to mature where I got okay with doing things that I'm not good at and, and still having fun but this this thing where you don't even even try that is the worst worst risk of all that is the worst of all because there's just nothing 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 comes of that and this guy had this this guy that didn't risk he had to, he had a, a, a fouled up thinking A.W. Tozer said that what we think about God and how we see God is the most important thing about who we are how we picture God if we see God as this heavy handed God who's going to whoop us and smack us if we don't walk a fine line I'm telling you, it's going to taint everything about our lives. If we see God as a God who's for us and not against us, a God who is behind us and encouraging us and, and there with us, ready to pick us up when we fall down, then, man, then all of a sudden that's going to shift things and that's going to, that's going to change the way we interact with life as a whole. Luke chapter 17 verses 17 through 18 Jesus asked were not all 10 cleansed there were he had just healed 10 lepers and only one of them shows back up were not all 10 cleansed where are the other nine was no one found to return and praise God except this foreigner only one of them did the other ones didn't even try I don't know if they were just took it for granted, if they were afraid that they come back, they were going, Jesus going to give it back to them or something. Just never made anybody sick, not once. Not one time. You don't find in Jesus' ministry that he makes anybody sick or any of that. What were these guys thinking? What was their picture of God? Their life just got restored to them. And only one of them comes back to say thank you. You understand the life of a leper in those days there was no life at all they were like zombies they were the living dead they were kept out at the kept out at the uttermost in uttermost extremes couldn't interact couldn't be around their family it was just a horrible horrible thing first corinthians 4 2 says now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful those that have been given a trust, those who have been, God has placed something in our hands. We've, we've got to take the risk. We've got to do something. Sitting there and doing nothing, trying to be, trying to be neutral on it, is not an option. We have to do this. We must prove faithful. And then as we shift into the last phase, we see that it's the accountability phase. And this is the longest part. This is the longest discourse. 
And as we look at this, one of the first things I want to point out is the fact that God doesn't compare us to anyone else. As he is going through, even as he takes the five, the guy turns in the five, the five plus five, he's well done, good and faithful servant. Then he comes in and the second guy comes in and does it. Well done, good and faithful servant. No, wow, you did just as good as other. You doubled it too. There's no comparison. That really stands out because when the last guy comes in and has the one and just brings it in and there's no increase whatsoever involved in it, the guy was locked up with fear. He didn't say, why didn't you do like the other two? Y'all were all my servants. Why didn't you pick their brains? Why didn't you find out what they were doing? He didn't compare them to this. He said, why didn't you at least place it in, with the banks and get some sort of gain, some sort of interest? He just addresses him and his opportunity and his ability all on his own. There is no comparison. There have been two, two great victories right before him, and those guys aren't brought up to the last guy at all. Ultimately, when we're sitting there in this accountability, it's not, we're not being held accountable. You're not being held accountable compared to anybody else. So my God, do not weigh yourself against anybody else. You will either be too hard on yourself or you will be too easy on yourself. You'll be one or the other. There is a sculptor named... <coughs> Bertoldo and uh, he fell in lineage between two great sculptors his <clears throat> his teacher was the great sculptor Donatello who was the greatest sculptor of his time and that was who taught Bertoldo or Ber Bertoldo whenever he became a great sculptor in his own right but hardly anybody knows about him because he didn't have all of the he wasn't quite the quality as he was going on he became a teacher himself and this 14 year old student comes to him that is incredibly gifted that is incredibly gifted and his name is Michelangelo and Michelangelo is studying under Bert Bertoldo, and Bertoldo is sitting there watching him. And like so many people who have this incredible gifting, they begin to compare themselves with other people's work. You go, wow, I'm, I'm better than you. And he begins to slack off. He was being a teenager, <laughs> being somebody that just wasn't have the drive, and began to, began to slack off. And doing good work, but not as good as work as he could have. And Bertoldo walked in one day as, as Michelangelo was messing with one of his sculptures. It was better than his peers, but he was just toying with it. He wasn't working it. He wasn't, he wasn't doing it the way he should have done it. And his, his, Bertoldo walks in with a hammer and just smashes Michelangelo's sculpture and tells him, <clears throat> that talent is cheap but dedication is costly and challenges him to not just be talented but to be dedicated to be willing to put it into practice to really use it 
the thing is is that whenever we begin to compare ourselves if we're really talented that we're going to end up being like michelangelo and you know what it may be better than somebody else could have done but god isn't measuring us according to that we have to stand before god and god we want to hear god say well done good and faithful servant we have to know that we put a hundred percent in that we did our that we did our best that we put everything we had into this thing romans fourteen four says who are you to judge someone else's servant to his own master he stands or falls and he will stand for the lord is able to make him stand as we're sitting there understanding that God isn't comparing us to anybody else, we can't do that either. We can't compare ourselves and we, we see some incredible gifting in ourselves and, and not really develop it because you don't really put it to work and you're getting closer to the uh, wicked and lazy class. But at the same time, we can't step over there and compare ourselves with somebody else and go, wow. Look at their gifting. I just really don't have anything. Wow, that guy's got, he got five talents. Master's really expecting something out of him. He only gave me one. He's not really expecting much out of me. This really ain't much. There's not much required here. We just go into stepping into comparing around. Then we remove the Holy Spirit from being our guide. The Holy Spirit tells us if we're doing right. The Holy Spirit tells us if we're on the right track. The Holy Spirit tells us if, if we're doing good enough or we're slacking off. The Holy Spirit is the one that does that. And we have to make sure that in that accountability phase, as daily we're coming before God and God is speaking to us, that we're not in that comparison deal. That we are letting the Holy Spirit talk to us. God does though however look for some kind of increase yesterday we were reading there in mark 11 if you're on the if you're reading through the bible with us then we read mark 11 as a group yesterday and as we were going through that jesus comes up to a fig tree and goes to look for figs but the deal is you look at the, the bible says it wasn't the season for figs and he goes to look for figs and there's no figs well there wasn't the season for figs it's not the time there's not going to be any and there were no figs and jesus cursed that tree and said no which seems a little irrational it seems a little seems a little odd okay jesus went up there shouldn't be any jesus gets mad at this tree and curses it seems a little odd well first off it's an inanimate object so we don't have to feel free feel sorry for the tree doesn't have a soul we don't have to feel sorry for the tree and the thing is is he was teaching his disciples something because it's right out of that that we then that he rolls in and begins to teach his disciples that we read today about accountability and giving to god what is god's and as we roll into that accountability, here we are looking at, <clears throat> looking at this, the parable of the talents and making sure that we give to God what is God's as he has entrusted us with something. Increase is what he's looking for. None of us should be a dead end for what God has put in our lives. 
God has called us and equipped us to go out and to make a difference. It is so exciting to be hooked up with God. As we look there at uh, Matthew 25, 27, it says, Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. There should have been something, some sort of an attempt, sticking it in a hole, burying it, ignoring it. That doesn't do any good. You should have done something. Matthew 24, 48 says, But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, My master is staying away for a long time. Here we find out another wicked servant and what he's thinking in his head. I've got time. I don't have to deal with this right now. I can, I can do this at some point. I've got plenty of time. One day I'll do this thing for God. One day I'll do this for my master. But I've got time. He's delaying. I'm, my life's not coming to an end today. I'm not. And that's, that's those thoughts of a wicked servant of just putting it off and saying, I don't really have to do this. My, I've got plenty of time to handle this. God is looking for increase, and there, we ought to be increasing it a little bit every day. Because when we do, we get to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't know about you, but man, bless God, that's what I want to hear. When it's all said and done, it all comes out in the wash, and there's going to be bumps and turns and man things where God's just shaking his head and going, what did that boy do? What was he doing here? What was he thinking there? But ultimately, when it's all said and done, I want to say, okay, when it's all sifted, well done, well done. There's the increase there. What I placed in your life, there's the increase there. The uh, this uh, this guy, this guy with the uh, the one talent, he he had his plan. His plan was to uh, you know to bury it, give it back get this thing off he didn't see it as a responsibility he saw it as a burden and his his, his plan didn't work out so well and a lot of times plans uh um people people work and think they've got good plans and that they don't uh they don't work out so well as the uh uh during world war ii the russians were up against the uh german panzer tanks and these panzer tanks were the best tanks out there the the old u.s german tanks just didn't i mean u.s sherman tanks did not have anything to compare to them these panzers were hardcore and they were having a real tough time well the the most vulnerable place on this tank was on its belly was on the bottom and so they were having a hard time getting and of course being able to shoot it in the belly and somebody in russia had this horrible idea and if you love dogs you're going to hate this story <laughs> because they trained dogs they take these dogs and they would train them that food was found under tanks and that food was found under there and they would there in russia they would give these dogs and they would feed them up under their tanks and they would say then they and then when it come time for for battle then they would just make these dogs hungry they just wouldn't feed them for days knowing there was this battle 
coming up and then they would take these hungry dogs and they would strap all of these explosives to these dogs and turn them loose on the battlefield and they had this little triggering mechanism this little stick that when they walked under this tank to go get the food that it'd blow the tank up and of course little Fido was bye bye too and uh anyways and so it's this this horrible thing but war is not a pretty business and uh, but they, there was this major major flaw major flaw in the training in the fact that the russian tanks ran on diesel and the german tanks ran on gasoline so the german tanks did not smell like like food and they when they were out there the only places they could find that smelled like food were the russian tanks and these dogs would run under the russian tanks and their own dogs were blowing up their own tanks and uh they just i just didn't quite after two battles they they stopped the the uh, dog bomb program and uh they saved lots of save lots of little doggy lives in them stopping that but but you know it didn't work out you try to make this plan of how you can structure this and do that and you know i'm gonna live this long for myself and i'm gonna do this and then when i'm older then i'm gonna live for god or man this thing is in my heart and i know god wants me to do this but i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm not quite ready i want to do this or do that ultimately ultimately we our our plans will will blow up in our own faces we have to stand before God and say, God, what can I do with what you've put in me right now? Man, that's what I loved about the first two guys is they immediately went out. And I love it that there was two to one. Jesus never makes mistakes whenever he go, does ratios like that. Glory to God, they're gonna be, you don't have to worry about being the, the one, the one that it, there, there's, there's just a whole bunch of guys with one talent that do nothing. There are more people that take what God has given them and do something with it and see you increase than there are the wicked servants there's more people who are doing that it is more likely you're going to be falling in that category we just have to make sure that we are pursuing God with our own heart with our whole hearts making sure that we are not dead ends the wicked servant had missed the entire point the entire point of, the, of this that the, the master was looking for increase the master was looking for him to do something with it not just to get it back he didn't say protect this I want you to protect my money if it was protected well, sticking in a hole is a good thing but it wasn't he wanted him to increase it to do business with it to go out and to work it we have to make sure that ultimately when it's all said and done that we haven't missed the point the point is for God to, to utilize our lives and to use us to touch other people's lives Luke 6.38 says, Give, and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. will be poured into your lap. For with a measure that you use, it will be measured to you. As we take our talents, and as we take what has been given, and we give it back, God pours right back into our lives in such increased ways. That is the way you see that with these guys. We God, the guy that did 10, where did the one talent go? It didn't go to the guy who had had the two and then four. 
that guy had been faithful over this other and the he got the extra one you know he ended up with 11 being entrusted with 11 talents god is we are faithful with what god has given us it just increases more it's that martha berry deal just valuing what god has placed in our hands and saying i can do something with this i can do something for the kingdom of god all of us can do something god has made everything everything on earth to increase and to reproduce everything that lives increases everything that lives reproduces that is what god has called us to do as we are thinking about that and knowing that ultimately god sent his son and, and planted him son in this earth to reap harvest of sons god sent jesus was a faithful servant and he gave his life as a ransom for many and he and god was looking for an increase of sons an increase of children and we come in and become children of god through what jesus did for us by receiving that so this morning we want to make sure that everybody has the opportunity to do that if everybody could just bow your heads and close your eyes